All right, well, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And today we conclude our look at Ephesians together here on Sunday morning. So Ephesians, chapter 6. And we're going to begin reading this morning. Let's, we'll read it. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 10, from verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you, will be, uh, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, preparing always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to, to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. For the last couple of weeks, we began with a quote that I think is appropriate to once again reference before beginning our study this morning. From Pastor Warren Worsby, a gentleman that has made a large impact in my life. I love what he wrote when he began his teaching on this chapter. He says, sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground, and that he faces an enemy who is much stronger than he is apart from the Lord. The whole armor of God for us as Christians is no longer optional. It's a necessity. And as we have looked at each detail of the armor of God, today we come to one of the most important elements of all. Verses 18 and 20 are also often the most neglected portion of this teaching. And yet Paul seems to put great emphasis upon it. For it is through the prayer of the individual that all is energized, strengthened, and empowered. As Warren Worsby went on to quote, he says, Prayer is the energy that enables the Christian soldier to wear the armor and to wield the sword. We cannot fight the battle in our own power, no matter how strong or talented we may think we are. In the Old Testament, we had a beautiful example of prayer. As the Amalekites came against the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 17, God instructed Moses to go up and to uh, oversee and to pray on behalf of the people by raising his staff. As his arm grew weak, those around him strengthened his arms. 
And also, as Joshua, therefore, when the, when the rod was raised, uh, the staff was raised, Joshua would succeed, and when it fell, he would, uh, he would begin to lose, and so forth. But those strengthening the arms of Moses gave us a dynamic picture of what intercessory prayer looks like. We as Christians must reevaluate our understanding of prayer. <laughs> I once heard someone say, that many feel that they have a dynamic prayer life because they pray three times a day. Unfortunately, those prayers always seem to begin, Lord, thank you for this food. We need to get beyond that. We need to understand that prayer is the greatest privilege that we have been given as, tr- as Christians in Christ. That we, as individuals, through Christ, as our mediator, we can petition God the Father... We can come into his presence boldly through all that Christ has done for us. And we can pray, not looking to twist God's arm to bring about what we desire to happen, but to allow him to conform our heart and mind to his will. Therefore, leading and guiding us through each and every step that we pray. Today, we're going to be looking at six points that all come out of two verses. In verses 18 and 19, uh, I'm sorry, 18 through 23 verses, we're going to be concentrating on this portion of the text. There are six points that I want to bring to your attention. Now, I believe if you look on Amazon, there are literally thousands of books that are written instructing a Christian how to pray. But yet, I have not found one with the title that I think is the most appropriate and is also the most uh, instructive. Coining a phrase or taking a phrase from Nike, often we as Christians just need to do it. We just need to pray. We need to stop talking about prayer. We need to stop, you know discussing prayer or giving it lip service, we really just need to get on our knees and begin to pray. And begin to pray. As Paul wrote here in verse 18, he says, number one, praying always. We as Christians must, must re-examine our thoughts of prayer. Prayer should not be our last resort. It should always be our first go-to. It should not be our last resort. It should always be our first go-to. We need to pray always. And I love being around Christians who believe that nothing is too small to pray about. My wife happens to be one of those people. And it's incredible the small things that she prays for that God, I, you know, I've always known, don't tell her this, she's at a conference, she's at a prayer conference this weekend, don't tell her this, but I've always felt God likes her more than me, okay? But she prays about the smallest little things. And one I can always look back to is one evening, it had just snowed, a blizzard had just gone through, and she had to take our dog out uh, before we went to bed, And uh, she went out, and the snow was everywhere, and of course the dog now is more interested in the snow than she is about doing her business, and so they were out there a little bit longer than necessary, but unfortunately, in the midst of all of it, she loses the house keys in the middle of the blizzard. 
And so she, she buzzes the door. I let her in. I said, what happened? She goes, I lost the keys. I'm like, great. We're going to be able to find them in this uh, blizzard that has just occurred. And she goes, no problem. She goes, I read this morning that you can just ask God and he's, he can find things and so forth. And he sees everything. That's what it was. That God sees everything. So I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord, you know, to show me where those keys are. And me being the man of faith that I was, did what any good husband would do. I rolled my eyes and started putting on my boots because I knew it was going to take me going out there and digging through the snow. Well, lo and behold, she went out before I did. And she came back and she said, no worries. God showed me exactly where they were. And she had the keys in her hand. It was incredible. Just the, the smallest little things. Just faith, just pure faith you know. And then, of course, I encouraged her by saying, why did you lose them in the first place? No, you know. (laughs) Prayer should always be our first go-to. It should never be our last resort. Of course, Paul wrote in Thessalonians uh, Thessalonians, uh, chapter 5, he said in verse 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, And in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's God's will that we pray always. Nothing's too small, and even more importantly, nothing's too big to pray about. Throughout the book of Acts, have you ever noticed, I try to read the book of Acts once a year. Uh, And every time I read it, I am astonished by how prayer was always their first go-to. When they were faced with persecution, they prayed. When they were faced with need, they prayed. When they were faced with a decision, they prayed. When they were looking for direction, they prayed. It wasn't even something that they had to be encouraged. They prayed. It was their first go-to over and over and over again. And yet, for us in America, we often seem to believe that it should be our last resort. I cannot tell you the number of people that have come to me over the last 25 years of ministry and who have said to me, Pastor, I'm in a desperate situation. I've tried everything and that all I can think of now is all I have left to do is pray. Now, I heard that being tactful is important as a pastor, but part of me wants to say to them, and maybe I missed this class in pastor school, uh, I just want to say to them, well, if you would have prayed to begin with, maybe you wouldn't be in this problem now. But I didn't think that would go over very well, so I just simply prayed with them. We must pray always. It must be our first go-to, number one. And then he goes on to say, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Many Christians don't know that there are different forms of prayer. Different prayers for different purposes. For example, often when the word prayer is used in the Bible, it's used synonymously with the word praise. I love to begin my prayer time with God by praising Him and thanking Him for what He has blessed me with. Always trying to keep my eyes on the blessings that God has given me rather than to focus on all those things that I believe that I don't have, that I need to, I want to have if I think I'm ever going to be happy. Now remember, God promises to provide all that we need. He doesn't provide, uh, promise to provide all that we want. 
So when we pray, let us begin with praise, thanking God for what He has blessed us with. But there's also the prayer of supplication. This is where we pray for our own personal needs. Some Christians at one time believed that it was selfish to pray for our own needs. But we see that Jesus prayed this way, the apostles prayed this way, the early church prayed this way. It's not wrong to pray for your needs. It's not wrong to raise supplication unto God for the needs that you have. The third one is intercessory prayer. It's where we pray for other people. We pray either for God to heal them or to open their eyes to the gospel. We need to pray for our country, our leaders, our presidents. I've often been curious over the last six months or so how much different things would be if Christians would stay off of social media complaining about everything and taking that time and expending it on prayer for our nation. Just curious. I know that there's a lot to complain about. There's a lot that I dislike that's going on immensely. And often we feel like we have no voice in the process. That it doesn't matter what we do. Nothing's ever going to change. But let us remember that what we may not be able to do physically, we can do spiritually through prayer. Even if things continue to get worse and worse and worse, maybe God is allowing that backdrop for the light of the gospel to shine even brighter. And though things may still, you know, to continue to, to uh, you know, de decay around us, what, how wonderful would it be if we started seeing our loved ones, our friends, family, our acquaintances, our neighbors coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Let me remind all of you that there is nothing that our government can do to stop God working. Nothing. Nothing at all. They may try. They may make it incredibly difficult on, uh, 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 on us. They may try to villainize, you know, vilify us in the media. They might try to paint a narrative where we are the reason that all the woes are occurring upon our country. So let it be. But God knows the truth, right? And I really encourage all of you, I think God really wants me to say this, I really want to encourage all of you in the next month to read the book of Daniel. Because if Daniel can do it in Babylon, we can do it in America, right? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? But we need to pray with all different kinds of prayer. Of course, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is one that we turn to often, but remember what Paul wrote. He said, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When writing to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we have these words. When he wrote to Timothy, a young pastor in Ephesus, he said to him, Therefore I exhort you first 
of all that supplications, prayers, and intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We must pray all prayers. Number three, he also then adds to pray in the Spirit. It means to pray in accordance with, in in line with. Praying as the Spirit would move us to pray. You know, there are times, 53, my voice is still cracking. I'll get there someday, really, I will. But there are just days that we just don't know how to pray. There are days that we are just confused. We seem overwhelmed by the circumstances in which we are faced with. We know we should pray, but we just don't know what to pray. It is often at that time that we can ask the Spirit to pray through us or to lead us. Often when I find myself in that situation, you may want to try this for yourself, I begin to read the Psalms or dig into the Word and allow the Word to prompt my heart and mind to pray according to the Spirit, in line with the Spirit. The number one reason for unanswered prayer is because the prayer has never been asked. The number one reason for unanswered prayer is because the prayer has never been asked. And when we do ask, we ask amiss. We ask for our own personal uh, pleasures or fulfillment rather than uh, aligning ourselves with the will of God. Praying in the Spirit. As Paul said in Romans 8, chapter 8, 26 and 27, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for what we ought to, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This is imperative. We must pray in the Spirit. In the Old Testament, often we find beautiful illustrations in the Old Testament of New Testament truths. In the tabernacle, there was the altar. And at the altar, the priest would offer incense before God, which represents the prayer. And those incense were lighted by fire. That fire represented the Holy Spirit. And as God led his people to pray by the Spirit, so shall we as Christians with the Spirit indwelt within us pray along with the Spirit and praying according to the Word of God. You can see that Old Testament example in Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10, when you have a moment to do so. Praying in the Spirit. But notice that Paul doesn't end there. He continues. Being watchful, number uh, four, being watchful. Pray being watchful. That word watchful means in the Greek to keep, uh, keep ourselves alert. The phrase watch and pray occurs often in the Bible, one wrote. He says, when Nehemiah was repairing the walls of Jerusalem, the enemy was trying to stop him and the work. Nehemiah defeated the enemy by watching and praying together. So it's twofold. 
God gave us two eyes. He wants us to be aware of the enemy coming at us, but he also wants us to keep an eye on the Lord's return. Meaning that when we pray, we are watchful. We are ready. We are waiting. And this is an important uh, part or aspect of our prayer life. You know, a pastor once said years ago, Pastor Chuck Smith, he said years ago, that as soon as one becomes serious about God, it is when Satan becomes serious about them. And the greatest form of battle that we can engage in as Christians is prayer. Have you ever had the pleasure of interacting or being around someone who has a robust, healthy prayer life? It's an incredible thing. The peace that they walk in. The power and the strength. And sometimes it's in people's lives that you don't expect. Quiet individuals. When we started the church, my wife had a dear friend who came down with a affliction that caused her to become bedridden. She was a, her name was Donna, and she was just a dynamic Christian woman, just dynamic. And when this, this disease came upon her and caused her to be bedridden, She was so disappointed because she couldn't fellowship with us physically anymore on Sundays. And so we would make a time to go and see her as often as we could. And she said that the Lord had laid it on her heart that even though she couldn't physically be there with us, that what she could do for us is pray for us from her bed. And I will tell you, that that woman faithfully prayed for Dina and I in this church and every one of the people of our church each and every night and nobody would have ever known it because she was confined to her bed. I can only imagine what her arrival in heaven was like when she died. I could only imagine. I can only imagine... You don't want me to sing the rest of it, really. We are blessed to have Chris and the others, trust me. But the power that, that she demonstrated through prayer, I can only imagine, again, <laughs> the incredible intercession that she made on our behalf. What a wonderful woman she was. Nehemiah, when he wrote, he said, Nevertheless, in Nehemiah 4.9, Nevertheless, we made our prayers to, God, to our God, and because of them we set watch against them, that is the enemy, day and night. In Mark 13.33, he, he writes, Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Mark again said, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. As Warren Worsby again wrote, he said, God expects us to use our God-given senses led by the Spirit so that we may detect Satan when he is beginning to work. As many of you know, I'm an avid football fan. And living here in Chicago, you can imagine how disappointed I have been. I actually got saved when the 85 Bears won the Super Bowl. 
because I thought that was the last prophetic fulfillment that needed to occur before the coming of Jesus Christ. So I just decided to get right with God then. When the Cubs won the World Series, I was waiting for the apocalypse to begin, okay? But in all the years that I have been a Bears fan, we have never had a good or a great quarterback. Never. We have had more quarterbacks than useless items at Walmart. And yet this year we drafted a young man that I think is going to barely be a franchise quarterback for the Bears. And they were explaining his talent, and I was amazed by it. I'm amazed by how talented these athletes actually are. And one of the gifts that he has is this. When he sets back and he takes the snap from the center, his mind immediately goes into two places at one time. He, first and foremost, is aware of the defenders coming in and collapsing in upon him. And so he needs to know when that's going to occur so he can escape out of the pocket and hopefully not get sacked. But at the same time that he is watching the defenders coming at him, he also is constantly looking downfield for his receivers. And he has been able to do some extraordinary things. He says he doesn't know how this occurs. It's just something he has been trained to do. That he keeps his eyes on both. The defenders coming at him, the devil. And his receivers, the will of God. To further the kingdom of God. That's how we must become if we are going to be successful as Christians. We must be aware of our enemy advancing with our eyes continuously fixed on Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Our fifth point now, he begins to say, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication. We must pray with persistence. We must not give up. It means to stick to it and not quit. It means to keep pushing forward. That is the way God is calling us to pray. With persistence. In Acts chapter 1 verse 14 Luke writes, he says, These continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The very beginning of the church began with prayer, and they did so in one accord. They did so with persistence, waiting on the coming of the Holy Spirit. After the church began in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, prayer again was the beginning of the work that God was doing in the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayer. One wrote this, he says, Perseverance in prayer does not mean that we are trying to twist God's arm, but rather that we are deeply concerned and burdened and cannot rest until we get God's answers. As one wrote, a gentleman named Robert Law, he put it this way, Prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. It is getting God's will done on earth. That is the essence of prayer. In your reading of Daniel this month, which you've all committed to earlier on in this sermon, let me draw your attention to a very interesting passage in chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, 
When Daniel began to pray, the angel was sent to him by God, and yet the angel was resisted. He was hindered. And it took time for the angel to arrive with the answer that Daniel was waiting for. But from Daniel's point of view, he did not know that that was occurring. It's a glimpse into the spiritual uh, world that surrounds us all. But Daniel continued to pray, and he pushed forward in perseverance, and he did not quit. As one wrote, he says, most of us quit praying just before God is about to give the victory. Not everybody is so uh, constitute that he is sincerely spent a whole night in prayer. But all of us can persevere in prayer far more than we do. I can only agree with him. Another wrote, he says, keep on praying until the Spirit stops you or the Father answers you. Just about the time you feel like quitting, God will give the answer. So we must pray with persistence. Not so much to twist God's arm, but to allow Him to form us to His will and get His will done here on this earth. And lastly, number six, we must pray for all the saints. Notice what Paul writes here. That in uh, perseverance, supplication for all the saints. We as Christians in America must remember that the body of Christ is worldwide. We must get our eyes off of just the immediate and just what we are experiencing and look around the world and begin to understand that God has called us to pray for the entire body of Christ. God may never lead you to be a missionary. That doesn't mean that you can't pray for the Christians that are currently suffering in Afghanistan right now. We can get on our knees and begin to intercede on their behalf and ask the Lord to do great and wonderful things on their behalf. You see, prayer is never limited by location. I know people who take a map of the world and they pray over different areas of it. When I was the director of operations for a large computer company years ago, we had a Bible study out in this area. And underneath my desk plotter, I had a little photocopy of a map of this area. And as I was working during the course of my day, I was praying for this area. We need to pray for all the saints. And we need to understand that the body of Christ is much larger than just our little church here. It's a big body across the entire world. Christians are experiencing things around the world that we can't even comprehend for the name of Jesus Christ. But we can pray for them. I often believe that one of the best ways to get past our own problems is beginning to pray for others around the world. To begin to intercede for those that we know are struggling desperately and deeply for their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, A Voice of the Martyrs is a great publication to move you in that direction and to remind us how blessed we are actually here in America. That doesn't mean we don't have fights that we need to contend with. It doesn't mean that there are battles that we need to exclude ourselves from. I think now more than ever, we need to gently stand up and say enough is enough, don't you? 
I am so thankful for the men and women across our country, the parents of school children, that have stood up to school board after school board after school board in a professional manner, a gentle manner, and resisted the the, uh, implementation of critical race theory. I am so thankful for some of those parents. Some of those parents, so articulate, just incredible. But it's time for us now to say enough's enough. It's time for us to motivate and to mobilize the way God would have us to do. First and foremost, the gospel is always center, right? But if you, like myself, have children, I think it is irresponsible not to fight for them since people fought for us to enjoy the nation that we enjoyed prior to this day, correct? And so we must now engage. So there are battles in America that we must begin to fight. Oh, and you'll be persecuted, you will be hated, you will be vilified, but truth always wins out. But Paul when he asked for all saints to be prayed for, specifically directed their attention to him. He needed prayer at this time. He was chained to a Roman guard waiting trial in Rome. He didn't know what the outcome of that trial was going to be. He needed prayer. And though it would seem that he was in prison and that he really couldn't do anything for the gospel of Jesus Christ, he saw that individual in whom he was chained to as a missionary opportunity. If all he could do from the vantage point that he was at was write these letters, led by the Spirit who now becoming part of the canonization of the New Testament. He wasn't in his study. He wasn't in his office. He was in prison when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. I don't believe that he realized what God was doing in and through him, but he did know that in the apostolic authority that he had, he could instruct the church in this manner in which he did. But he also saw this Roman chained to him. Now, it's interesting because I often believe that the Roman soldier would have seen Paul as the prisoner, but yet Paul saw the Roman soldier as the prisoner. He was imprisoned to darkness. His eyes were blinded by the ruler of this world. And Paul knew that unless this man accepted Jesus Christ, he would die in his sin and spend an eternity apart from God. So Paul asks them specifically, the Ephesians in whom he is writing to, look at verse 19 with me. He says, And for me, that utterances may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mysteries of the gospel. That's what he was looking for. He was looking for an opportunity, and he knew very well that he could say something to the Roman soldier and suffer physical harm for doing so. But yet he still wanted to be bold for the gospel because he didn't know when the last day of his life would be. He didn't know if he would be released or if he would be executed for his faith in Christianity. But from that vantage point, that's how Paul saw that opportunity. Let me ask you, do we see our opportunities with those in whom we work with as such opportunities? Are we fearful to say anything that would cause any kind of disruption within the workplace? 
Are we concerned that we won't be invited to Christmas parties any longer? It's very interesting to me how quickly we recoil from these opportunities and retreat from these opportunities rather than speak into these opportunities. That prayer for boldness is a prayer that we need in our lives today. Paul coveted that. He wanted that for himself. Because in verse 20, notice how he saw himself. For which I am an ambassador, meaning that I am an ambassador for God. I'm his representative. I'm here to share his message. And I'm here to share the gospel with anyone who will listen. Even as he concludes here by doing it in chains. Remember when he was arrested in Philippi? And he was jailed. And he and his companion began to sing praises unto God as they were in the stocks in the prison. And God shook the whole entire prison. And the prisoners were let free. And yet all of it seemed to be directed to the Philippian jailer who then he and his family received Jesus Christ as their Savior. We need to look at the the opportunities that we have through God's perspective and not ours. Let me say it again. We need to look at every opportunity that we are given through God's perspective and not ours. And it would be easy to conclude that Paul was operating from a position of disadvantage. He was chained to this Roman guard. And yet he saw it as a prime opportunity because he had a captive audience. The guy wasn't going to go very far. And Paul wanted to take that opportunity that he may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Throughout the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts, God often answered the prayer of his people with boldness. That word boldness is not only the fortitude to get up and to stand on behalf of of the courage that God gives us, it is also a boldness to withstand the persecution that may occur due to that proclamation. That's what we need now more than ever. We need to be bold about our Christian faith. We need to stand up. And let me ask you a question. For most of us who, you know, occupy social media, Let us understand that when we post things into social media, unless we have people within our friend group that adamantly disagree with us, we are simply preaching to the choir, aren't we? May I suggest to you that it's time to get off of social media somewhat and begin in one-on-one conversations with people around you who do not know Jesus Christ. Face-to-face. Mano-e-mano, as one would say. One-on-one. I find it to be incredibly effective. I find that social media has now become, well, just a cesspool. And we can can throw out all these articles and we can talk about the Lord, which is all great and everything, but let us understand that we aren't really changing anything if we're confining it to our own people group, our own tribe, if you were. We need to get out there. Because we have the answers that the world is looking for regardless of what the intellects of our society are telling us, don't we? 
People need Jesus Christ now more than ever. And if we turn away from the conversation, who will engage in that conversation? So we need to be bold. And in saying that, let us turn to the book of Acts. Book of Acts chapter 4. If you'll turn there with me, please. And we'll wrap up with this this morning. The book of Acts chapter 4. As you remember, Acts chapter 4 is when Peter and John are arrested. They are taken before the religious leaders of the time. And the religious leaders determined to forbid them of speaking or preaching in the name of Jesus any longer. They were told to shut up. This is the cancel culture of Acts chapter 4, okay? They were told to be quiet. They were told to stop. But when Peter and John looked at them, they asked this one question. A question that I think we need to ask ourselves before we read the next portion. Peter asked the question, you decide who shall we obey, you or God? And of course, they were then released because one named Gamaliel believed that if the religious leaders were truly coming against God, they were going to be unsuccessful. There was a wise man among them. But in verse 23, we read, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. I love beginning prayers with that statement. Why? Because it puts everything into perspective. It shows me that God is sovereign over all things. It reminds me of that in my heart and in my mind. And that nothing is impossible for God, is it? It frames and puts a context to the rest of my entire prayer. It takes it out of my hand and places it in His. And notice what He then continues then to pray. It is you who have made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of David, your servant, David, had said, Why did the nations rage? And the people plot vain things. And the kings of the earth took their stand. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Paul, I mean, sorry, John and Peter saw that the instruction given to them by the religious leaders was not directed to them, but really towards God, wasn't it? God told them to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's what they're doing. Starting in Jerusalem, that's what they're doing. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit, directed and letting him lead through the conviction in which he presents. That's what they're doing. So ultimately, it's God's battle, isn't it? It's God's fight. For truly, verse 27, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Meaning, this is all according to your plan, God. Now, Lord, look at this, verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats 
and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Hey, we're not going to shut up. We're only going to get louder. And we're going to do so in the grace of God. We're going to do it by humility, by love, and compassion. But it's time that we no longer continue to conform to this world, but allow God to transform us by the renewing of our mind. It's time now that we stand up in boldness. But notice what he says. Verse 29, your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your servant, holy servant Jesus. Notice verse 31, here's how God answered their prayer. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. That's our mandate going forward. We need to pray. We need to submit ourselves to God's will. And we need to ask Him for the strength, knowing that the battle is His. And they are coming against Him. And then we need to allow God to empower us, filling us with His Spirit, that we may speak boldly to all who will listen. This is what it means to pray for all saints. This is what Paul was getting at. This is what brings the whole armor of God together. It is the prayer of the individual, the prayer of God's people. And as Paul then concludes the letter, in verse 21... He says, in just a personal closing, he says, but that you also may be know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychius, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that you, he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. In sincerity, amen.